Now I showered. <laughs> I, I showered and that's that should not be. <coughs> You're recording. Jimmy's our, our new tech coordinator back there, sitting back there, got a crash course. And I'm sincerely sorry. <laughs> I think he's doing an outstanding, standing job. Well, it's good to see everyone this evening. Are we awake? Yeah. yeah. It is not, it's not early, early morning, but it's good to see we're, we're missing a few on this holiday weekend. Some centers or California running races. Stuff. We'll make sure that's on the podcast, but uh, others are in Pennsylvania and all this other stuff. But yeah, I'm so glad you guys are here. It's good to see um, new faces and old faces and all faces. And Tim, thank you so much. You, you have no idea. At three o'clock this afternoon, um, I got a phone call from my daughter just saying, I got bad news. How much is going to cost me? <laughs> well, uh, I hurt my knee. I'm on crutches. I don't think I can come tonight. I don't know anybody to help. And I just started calling everyone I know. And, and Tim just said, hey, I'll do it. I'll take care of it. And so thank you so much for coming. You did a great job. And we really appreciate you being here. Um, I, I, it, it's really funny. My wife keeps telling me that every time... God lays some stuff on my heart to be preaching through and whatever. It seems that we go through it. Um, it's, it's like it's an ongoing life. Let's, let's make you a living lesson of this. And um, that's basically been our week this week. If you, if you haven't been here, we are marching through the Bible. We believe the Bible um, for all that it is and all the different authors and all the different books. It is still one message. It, it is God chasing after us. God redeeming us, God rescuing us, God providing and showing that he is the one and only God. And so um, we are continuing to, but I thought it was really interesting that this week um, we, we're in Exodus and we're marching through and we're going to the Red Sea. And we're, we're going to dive into this a lot about just that feeling that, man, I'm just up against it. Uh, there's just no way out. Hey, have you ever had that feeling where you just looked at your circumstances, you looked at life around you, and it just seemed like everything was just crashing in around you, and you're just like, there is no way out. And so I, I think we've experienced that this week. I bet a lot of you have experienced that. Um, but um, I, I love that there's a there's a quote. Jimmy, switch it one time for me. Okay. Uh. Jimmy, you may have to switch it to for me back there and say, I'm gonna, Ah, wait, there, try, there. It, try it now. <laughs> hey, there you go. Right, it's going crazy now. I love technology. All right, anyway, we'll get there. I love being in church. All right, the guy George Mueller, preacher, he said this, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I want you to think about that sometimes because we are facing situations in our life and in our world a lot of times that just there's just no way. It is just seems impossible. And I don't know about you, but I'm a worrier. And I think about all the things that could go wrong and all the things that could happen and all the things like, well, if this doesn't happen, then that's going to happen. And my mind just plays like that. Constantly. That's why I don't sleep well at night a lot of times. <laughs> so I'll be thinking about the church, and I'll be thinking about you guys, and I'll be thinking about my family, and just this idea of this anxiety and everything. And we know the promises, right? We know that that in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, 
It says, For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in the context of Jeremiah, that is a promise to the Israelites. When they're in captivity and everything just looks totally gone. Like they've lost their homeland, they've lost their temple, they've lost everything. But being followers of Christ and grafted kind of into that family, we can tie this over to us. That we know that God has plans for us. Plans for welfare, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. And it's easy to read that. It is a much different story to live. And that's really what I want to talk about tonight. As we march through the Bible, as we keep marching through in Exodus, um, what God is up to in our lives in this one story, this one message. Will you pray for me? God, I just thank you so much that in this room tonight, there is probably a million things going on in everybody's life. There are things that we're unexpected to us. There are things that we don't understand. There are things that we're not sure how to handle. There are things that just seem overwhelming. God, tonight, would you just place your presence on us? But tonight, through your word, you remind us how big and how loving and how gracious and trustworthy you are. God, it really doesn't matter what I say tonight, but it's what you want to say to so God, I just ask that you would speak through, that you would move me aside, and that your word would resonate in our hearts. And God, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So as we continue to do this, we are in Exodus uh, chapter 14. So a couple weeks ago, we talked about the calling of Moses. Um, last week, to start off church, we talked about the ten plagues. And how God will make himself known. God will replace the things that we put in us. But tonight, at the end of all those plagues, Pharaoh finally decides he's going to let the Israelites go. He's like, I'm done. It's over. Just get out. And they take off, and they go into the desert. And then starting at, in, in chapter 14, verse 2. God starts giving the Israelites some directions. He says, first of all, they're going, they're headed out, they're going to the promised land. He says, tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pinharoth, between Migdal and the sea. You must camp in front of Belzephon, facing it by the sea. And then verse 5, it says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We've released Israel from serving us. So he got his chariot ready, took his troops with him, he took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt, with officers in each one. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen, and his army chased after them and caught up with them as they camped by the sea beside Pethroth in front of Baal Zephon. I, I, I want you to get this picture. Here's, there's, there is a trade route to Canaan. To the promised land. So it doesn't involve getting stuck on between a seashore and an entire army of people that are really ticked off at you. In fact, that's the way that when they first headed out, man, you, you can kind of picture the Israelites all triumphant, like walking out saying, Woo, we're free after 400 years. You know, we're good, we're going. And also, God says, No, turn down here and head towards the sea. And then Pharaoh decides, like, Oh, 
we made a mistake, and here comes the army. So you've got, you've got all the Israelites, and it's about 2 million people. Most theologians think it's about 2 million women, children, dads, everything, right there, with the Red Sea on one side, and the most massive, destructive army known in the world coming in in chariots, coming this way. And they are stuck in between. You, you want to talk about a situation where you feel like there's no way out? Imagine that. Imagine if you were on Cocoa Beach and you had Riptide and the dirty Atlantic Ocean and a huge mob of people just coming this way. For you. I mean, there, there's just no way to go. And, and, and so we've got to look at this idea of God's plan versus our plan. See, a lot of times we make plans for ourselves and we have it all kind of figured out and, and, and God has a different plan. And it doesn't always make sense, does it? If When I was 18 years old, if God would told me when we knew we were going into ministry and I knew I felt the call of God in my life, that this is where I would end up at 47, I would have run away. There's no way. that I, ever, I remember starting in youth ministry, starting a lot of stuff, saying, I don't ever want to talk to adults. My wife picks on me all the time. I don't ever want to be a pastor of a church. I definitely don't want to ever want to start a church. I don't want to do this. I don't want to go live overseas. I don't want to do... I mean, there was all these I don'ts that ended up happening that was God's plan. And I think a lot of times God doesn't show us the full plan because he knows that you and I are going to run away. And, and so God has a different plan. And then it... Down at verse 10 and 12, we see the reaction of the people. As Pharaoh approached... The Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. Then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Whenever these things start happening, when life starts getting crazy, we basically had two choices. We can either face them with faith or fear. And as I told you to begin this, I'm a worrier. And I'll be completely honest with you, most of the times I face things with fear. Here are all the Israelites that saw all the plagues that God had just done. This this great deliverance. They're sitting at the Red Sea. There's no way to go. Here's Pharaoh's army just bolting down. And they make a decision. It was better to be a beaten, abused slave than to be here. And, and that's all they could see. And that's the problem with fear. That, that's when we let fear kind of take control. That's all we see. When, when you're in the midst of the storm, usually all you see is the storm. You see the wind blowing, you see the trees rocking, you see the rain falling, but you, you don't see everything else. You know, one of the most beautiful places on the planet is in the middle of a hurricane. If you've ever been in a hurricane and you get to the eye, and just for that moment, just this calm, and the beauty, I mean, the sky, for some reason, is clear that the air is crisp. It's just like, well, it's beautiful in the middle of that hurricane. See, the Israelites and us and me, we keep staying in the outer bands. And, and we face it with fear. And what I think God has called us and God has commanded us is that, no, I want you to face it with faith because... When there's no way out, God shows up. I, I love this. If you jump down to verse 15. 
I love that God says, the Lord says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Tell the Israelites to break camp. Like, none of this was a surprise to God. He knew Pharaoh was coming. He knew the sea was there. No, it was like, why are you whining? I got this. Didn't you just see what I did in Egypt? This Just tell them break camp and get ready to go. And now in verse 19, it says, Then the angel of God who was going in front of the Israelite forces leading them moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them, and it came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces. The cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night, so neither group came near the other all night long. Also, God just says, just break camp, get ready to move, I'll handle this, just get ready. And I think that's sometimes how God operates. And sometimes we pray, you know, I don't know about you, but I prayed, you know, I didn't buy a lotto ticket. But man, a billion dollars, I don't know what I'd do. If we, I, y'all would all have to be off of work because I just give it all away. But, you know, we, we say, God, just, if I can have that one big score, that one big thing, that one thing just happened right now. Just, just wipe it all out. Just take care of it all. And sometimes God's like, okay, get ready. Because I'm going to take care of it. And he just shows up in the midst of it. And he blocks Pharaoh's army. I mean, they're freaking out because there's just this cloud of fire in front of them. Not your normal everyday thing. And the Israelites are breaking camp. Sometimes God wants us to go ahead and keep stepping out in faith. The, the best way to defeat fear in our lives is to step. No matter what that fear is. It's just to keep stepping. In the meantime, God is preparing. And so God doesn't only just show up. God shows off. Jump down to verse 21. So he's blocking the boat. There's a, plank, a wall of fire, a cloud of fire. that's sitting there going, you ain't coming no closer to my, my kids. And while that's there, it says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back with powerful east wind all that night, and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. And the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with waters like a wall to them on their right and left. I want you to pay attention to that word, those words, dry ground. When God steps in, he does it completely. The Israelites had carts and kids and donkeys and stuff trying to get them the elderly through. There was no mud. There was nothing. It was dry, solid ground. And God did something that, you know, still to this day people say it's crazy. It's impossible. He split the sea. When there's no way out, God makes a way. And, and I love because there's an old, old story about a little kid that went to Sunday school class. And, and he sits there and the teacher's teaching on this and he goes, well, actually, you know, the Bible says this, but it was really only six inches of water. They went through a certain spot, you know, because logically it was still a little wet, but they went through about six inches of water. And this little boy in the back room jumps up and starts going, praise Jesus! And the chief's like, what? What's going on? He's like, you, you don't understand. Six inches of water. God drowned the entire Egyptian army with six inches of water? <laughs> You see, we, we can throw, we can think about it because that's what happened. The Egyptians come in, water crashes down, and there's no one to pursue the Israelites anymore. But when God makes a way, he does it completely. 
And I think so often God wants to show up, not just show up in our life, God wants to show off. Because he is a big, awesome, powerful, mighty God. I mean, when, when, when you look at this, you sit there and say, there's got to be an easier way to do this. Why, why this way? If you jump back to verse 18, you understand exactly God's heart and what he's saying. He says in verse 18, the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. See, sometimes we face issues and we face problems and we can deal with them ourselves and we don't let God show up. See, my prayer for my life since we started this five, six months ago, and my prayer continues to be, God, I want you to show up in ways that you're the only one that can get credit. See, if, if we can handle everything in our lives, if we can deal with everything in our life, and all of a sudden, then God gets no glory whatsoever. When God shows up and shows off, it's for God to say, this, I'm God. And for everyone else to see that. And you and I may be facing things or dealing with things right now where there's an opportunity for God to show up and to show off in such a way that everybody's going to see there. And it's not going to be coming up to you and say, hey, Tony, good job. Pat on the back. You did a really great job doing that stuff. They're going to sit there and go, oh, my <coughs> God. Because that's why he does that. It, it is for God's glory. Listen, I, I talk to some of my friends all the time. I tell them, like, yeah, we're planning a church. We're doing this. We just moved in. We're, we're starting all of this stuff. And I tell them, so there's this many people. And we got to do this. And my friends that know me, immediately, their immediate response is, that must be God, because we know you. <laughs> and I think that is the greatest compliment I could ever receive as a pastor. God wants to make himself known. But the problem is, is we forget, don't we? How many times has God showed up in your life? I mean, just, just for a moment, think about that. Little, little things here that for those of you that are followers of Christ, and for those of you that know, how many times has God shown up? You know the old saying, count your many blessings, count them one by one? I mean, just, just, just think about that for a minute, because, you know, as soon as we get through one thing, it seems another thing is waiting. Here, here the people get thirsty. Verse 22, chapter 15, says that Moses led Israel out on from the Red Sea. They just got, by the way, the whole other chapter at the end of this and the beginning of this is a song of praise to God. The people are singing. They're like, wow, that was awesome. And then they get moving down the road a little bit. And also in verse 22, it says, Moses led the Israel out on from the Red Sea. And they went out to the wilderness of Shur. And a wilderness in the Middle East is nothing. It is sand. It is dirt. It is desert. And they journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. They came to Mar, but they could not drink the water at Mar because it was bitter. And that's why it was named Mar. And the people grumbled to Moses, what are we going to drink? I mean, I know God like just split an entire sea and we walked through on dry ground and he caused all these plagues, but now I'm thirsty. <laughs> What's he going to do now? I'm thirsty. I mean, isn't that like us? I mean, I remember my kids. I love my daughters. And I love that they're grown. But I, I, I just I remember all the time, just like, we just did something. Like, we just did this, and like an hour later, you don't love me because I don't have this. I'm like, what? <laughs> you have clothes and food and a house? What? What? 
you know, Christmas ends, and they're like, this was great, we got all these presents and all this stuff, and the next day, I didn't get this. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, that's, that's what the Israelites are like, wow, God, we're singing praise to you, but all of a sudden, like, oh, oh I'm, I'm thirsty. Oh, God, you must not care. Isn't that us? <laughs> and, and so God shows up again. Verse 25, it says, So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. He made a statue and ordinance <coughs> for them at Mar, and he tested them there. He said, If you will carefully obey the Lord your God, do what is right in his eyes, pay attention to his commands, and keep his statutes, I will not inflict any illness on you that I inflict on Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. Once again, God shows <coughs> Quickly, we forget. And so, they get their water, but then what's next? If you have teenagers, you understand this statement completely. I'm hungry. Or if you have a little boy that's hollow all the way through. Because I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Jump over to chapter 16, verse 2. The entire Israelite community grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Listen to this. It's, it's like a, it's like a two million three year olds. The Israelites said to them, "If only we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt, when we sat by pots of meat and ate all the bread we wanted, instead you brought us into this wilderness to make this whole assembly die of hunger." And can you picture this? I mean, I. This is why I'm not God. Because <laughs> back at the water, I always said, I'm starting over. You know? And there was a couple of times God looked at Moses and said, here, Moses, you go on. And I love Moses' prayer in Exodus. If you ever read a great prayer, Moses' prayer is like, God, I will not go without you. Please don't send me without you, because I will not go. But, but here again, how quickly we forget the blessings Oh God, and hey, listen, I'm preaching to me tonight. I, I look at my bank accounts, and I look at the stack of bills, and I, and I look at all the needs, and, and I look at the people and all the things going on, and I just see that stack getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and I'm like, God, you know, some guy in Melbourne won $500 million. <laughs> Couldn't he been my uncle? You know, just, and, and, and I quickly forget how faithful. And so this time, God doesn't just show up again. God shows off. Go down to verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses. He said, I have heard the complaints of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will eat bread until you are full. Then you will know that I am Yahweh your God. So at evening, quail came and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew all around the camp. And when the layer of dew evaporated, there were fine flakes on the desert surface, as fine as roast, as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they asked one another, what is it? Because they didn't know what it was. Moses told them, it is bread the Lord has given you to eat. Here is God just in the middle of nothing. You know, there are some theologians that think there were so many quail, like they had to shovel. I mean, there were just, God just brought all this quail. And then he gives them all the bread they need, the manna they need. And it just fills every and every person has enough. It says, It is bread the Lord has given you. It, you get all that you need. 
But there's there's a stipulation kind of here. That love, we, we have all known the Lord's Prayer. Do you ever notice that statement says, give us today our daily bread? Because this is kind of where that starts coming from. Look at verse 16. It says, this is what the Lord's commanded. Gather as much of it as each person needs to eat. You may take two quarts per individual according to the number of people each of you has in his tent. So the Israelites did this. Some gathered a lot, some little. When they measured by quarts, the person who gathered a lot had no surplus, and the person who gathered little had no shortage. Each gathered as much as they needed to eat. Moses said to them, no one is to, to let any remain until morning. But they didn't listen to Moses. Some people left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and smelled. Therefore Moses was angry with them. They gathered it every morning. Each gathered as much as he needed to eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. You get this picture, that here's what God says today, I will give you what you need. Today. I, all you need today is what I'm about. You will have that. that that's the idea of daily bread. That so, so many times, especially in our American culture, we're hoarders. Man, we, we like, like, let's just store up, let's just store up, let's just store up, let's just store up, let's just store up. I, I knew a guy that's a multimillionaire, most miserable person I've ever met in my life. Because he thought he had everything, and every day he's like, I just feel so empty, I feel so empty. Because he was more worried about what was happening tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, than today. Yeah, I mean, isn't that what Jesus said? Don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough of its own. Just focus on the day, and today I will give you what you need. In fact, in the New Testament times, what would happen is if you had excess bread, you would put it in a little satchel, and you would hang it outside your house, and all those that were poor and didn't have jobs or destitute could walk by and grab, and they would get their daily bread. God doesn't promise you lobster every single day, but he does say, I will give you your daily bread. God doesn't promise you exuberant riches and all the other things that you think that you may need. But God says, I will give you what you need today. I'll give you the strength and the resources that you need today. And I think that's what God is trying to teach me. And maybe some of you too. That it is about every day. But still, when we have that, we forget. Chapter 17. Verse 2, so the, so the people complained to Moses again, Give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me, Moses replied to me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you ever bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Again and again, God shows up. And the problem is that I think for us as a people is we're trying to quench the wrong thirst. John 14. It says, but whoever drinks, Jesus says, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up with him for eternal life. I think the problem is, is we get thirsty for the wrong things. We're trying to quench the wrong thirst. Over and over. And God says, I've got something for you that is beyond beyond your life that is beyond everything. And when we get focused on the stuff, we lose sight of what God truly offers. See, we're, we're going to have struggles 
Because God, God promises that. Life is not easy, and it's not going to. We live in a fallen world. That, that's the truth of it. We deal with sinful people. God made churches, and he put them in the hands of people like me. And they, and they struggle, and we see that all the time. <coughs> and you're, you're going to face trial, and you're going to face struggle. But God says, I'll give you what you need today. I'll redeem this day if you'll trust me. In fact, I, I love this. Um, John R. Scott, great theologian, says, Faith is a reasoning trust, a trust which reckons thoughtfully and confidently upon the trustworthiness of God. How trustworthy do you think God is? Can you look back in your life and see any time where he wasn't present? Where he wasn't there when you invited him to be there? May not, may not with the answer you wanted. May not with fixing the problem the way you wanted or in the time frame you wanted, but he was still there. God has always been faithful to his people. This is why I, I don't understand a life without faith. Because it, it's hard enough with faith. I can't understand people that go through life day after day without hope, and without faith, and without an understanding that God is with me. No matter what happens, no matter where I live in the world, no matter who I'm dealing with or what's going on, that God is still present and he is faithful in my life. I can't understand living any other way than that. I don't, I don't see how people survive outside of that. See, because we know the promise. We know we know the promise. Romans 8, 28. We love quoting this. We know that in all things, God, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. We know that. We've heard that. But what we don't know is the rest of that verse. And we go to 29. It's that purpose that God is predestined and forming us into the complete perfection that Jesus is. We, we are being shaped and formed into the image of Christ, into the exact person that we were created to be, perfect and blameless and righteous and holy and being able to stand right with God. This doesn't mean that everything you want is going to happen. It means that in the end, all of it is going to work together and it's going to be good. Because God is faithful and God is true and he is trustworthy. And that's what we need to ask ourselves, do I trust God? Do, do I remember His faithfulness in my life? I, I can tell you this week, there were days this week where I forgot God's faithfulness. There were days this week that I just struggled. There were days this week when I just got up and said, I just really don't want to do this right now. And God reminded me, there's only two things I know how to do as a person. I know about you. There's two things. I know how to blow stuff up because it's in the Army. I can blow stuff up really good. I made a lake in Georgia one time with 15 pounds of C4. It was fun. I'm great at that. And I know how to be a pastor. And so as God and I talked this week, I said, God, there's not a huge job market for people blowing stuff up or for just people being pastors. That would be a really cool church if we can find those and somehow. <laughs> and we might think about it, but Jimmy would be happy. I would. I'd be happy. But over and over, God just kept saying, do you trust me? Do you, do you trust me? Do you, do you 
trust me. There are deadlines coming up in the next week for us for some things. God's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me? It may not happen the way you expect. It may not happen the way you wanted or you thought it would happen. But you know what? Do you trust me? And in the end tonight, that's the only question that we can answer. That's the only thing. God, over and over, all through Scripture, has shown himself faithful. God, over and over, has shown himself that he is more than capable to deal with anything that we face. The question tonight, will you trust him? Tonight, we're going to have...